The following podcast is not intended for younger listeners. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, we present Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe. And I'm just going to say this at the top, this is our second time recording this first part. I am so sorry the microphone wasn't plugged in. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) (sighs) It was the, oh, the, the sad part is we did the whole first part. And it and then we were getting ready to do the second part, and it wasn't plugged in. I hate it. I hate it so. Much. I'm so sorry, Joey. I really am. I'm so sorry. It's it's what it is. But you know what? On the plus side, something really exciting did happen to you today, and I don't know if we can channel that same <laughs> same euphoria you had before. But let's see if we can try. I, I something came out today. You know what? I might I might just drop my my reaction here at this point. I still have that audio, so I'm gonna drop it in there when I when I edit this episode, so you could hear that excitement. I've waited so long for this movie. He jumps out of the way of the atomic breath, then then he slams down and punches him in the face and shoves him off the boat, and then Godzilla shoots his beams, and then he's got he's got an axe that's like Stormbreaker, but it's not exactly Stormbreaker, but it's so cool. It is so cool. Oh my god! But uh, just but more level-headed, Joey's gonna talk um, after that nonsense just played. I had a really good time with that trailer. I'm a lifelong fan of like King Kong and Godzilla and all things giant monsters. The original King Kong's my favorite movie of all time. Kong Skull Island is freaking awesome, and I've been waiting for this movie basically my whole life. You know, and to finally see these two legendary monsters duke it out. On a scale that I never thought I would get to see in my whole life. You know, like, because obviously there's the King Kong... On a scale as in your home television? Well, you know what? (laughs) No, like, on a a scale where Hollywood decided to spend $250 million on a, a giant monkey versus a giant atomic lizard movie. But, uh, like... It, but it's also that is that is good. That is a good. It, thing. It, it's like it, it it is just so beautiful, and it's a two and a half minute trailer. I get it, and I might be setting myself up for disappointment. But guess what? I don't care. It's about the best thing to happen to me in the last goddamn twelve months. So you know what? I'm okay with that. It's great. It's amazing. Woo! And also just not, not, <laughs> you know, and I also had a rough week, not not for nothing. And it was just nice to see this. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. Not to get into my my life, but it was nice. Right. No, no, no. And you know what? On top of that, too, like, I've talked about this with you a lot, too. Just, like, the last year, how... Admittedly, I got... A lot of the movies that I was excited... Save for a few of them. A lot of the movies that, that I was really excited for, I got. I got Bill and Ted's... Uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I was super excited to see. 
Uh, I got Wolf Walker. Like, pretty much all the movies, save for probably two or three, that I was super stoked to see, I, I got to see. Even if one of them that I watched recently, uh, while I might have enjoyed it at first, has definitely dwindled in my brain as far as quality as time has gone on, the more I thought about it. Of course, I'm talking about um, the unfortunate uh, existence that is Wonder Woman 1984. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I, I still love the first one. I have the poster proudly on my wall. And I might have a, a Wonder Woman 1984 uh, McFarlane figure hanging on my wall, but I, at least I could pretend that maybe it was from the first one. <laughs> it's like, you know what? <laughs> Richard, I won't, I won't tell anyone. I appreciate that. Even though on the side of the box it clearly says Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> and you're just further incriminating like, yourself. No, it doesn't. We're just, put it, we're just putting this it says episode. Wonder Woman. We're putting this episode out to the public. And we're just further incriminating yourself that you own Wonder Woman 84 merch. <laughs> I do. But you know what? I don't own any other Wonder Woman figures, unfortunately. So this is this is the one I own at the moment. But I like the figure anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I've, I know you've talked a lot of, uh, about... Godzilla versus Kong and how excited you've been to see it and hearing it get delayed so often and you know how unfortunate that is. so I I've, admittedly I felt for you and I'm excited to see it too because you know I do I do genuinely enjoy the MonsterVerse series but um, I'm especially excited for you just given how like excited you are and that trailer was badass it, it, it definitely had like some Pacific Rim vibes and so I'm totally for it yes uh, it was it was uh I'm I'm definitely looking forward to March March 26th. Um so uh what else uh, what else have you been do up to uh dude one? Well, besides being a dick and not recording the podcast correctly, um <laughs> you don't need to remind us of that. I can't help but laugh at my own pain. <laughs> it's more it's more just a reminder of myself so I don't do it again. Okay. Stop it. Ah! What else? Oh, you know what? I didn't me- I didn't mention this in the initial recording, but uh, I don't know if you- I-, I don't know if I mentioned this before. Well, no, I did. I did mention this at one point. I have a giant wall in my room, just that's currently being like filled with Star Wars Black Series figures. So I have like the carbonized figures, and I have uh, uh, the Rebels figures. I ordered. A Moff Gideon figure that they announced uh, a couple months ago. It finally showed up. So now Moff Gideon, uh, Giancarlo Esposito himself, the the beautiful man that he is, is now proudly hanging on my wall right next to the armorer and, of course, Mando himself. So I I was really excited about that. I still have Bo-Katan coming. Uh, I think Asaz Ventress uh, and uh, two of the Bad Batch Troopers that I ordered, but I think I ordered them from someone else, so they might come a little bit later. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I actually uh, ordered, because someone actually had it for a good price, the uh, Ahsoka Tano Clone Wars figure uh, based on her look from the uh, last four episodes of uh, Star Wars Clone Wars, which I was really excited to get. Oh, nice. So that'll be the second Ahsoka Tano that I have. Very cool. And I think, I think on Friday, this, well... I think, you know, on the 29th, which obviously, again, we pre-record a lot of stuff, but on Friday, on the 29th, I think they're doing, like, a live, uh, like, first Star Wars, like, Friday or whatever. What does it call it again? First Friday or or Fan Friday? Fan Friday. Force Friday. Yeah. Whatever it is. 
either way, like they're releasing they're, they're releasing some new merch, so I, I'm excited to see what it is they come out with. I'm kind of hoping for a Mando, Ahsoka Tano, and uh, Boba Fett Black Series figure. If they do that, I will clearly be ordering those. Uh, on top of that, I've also watched a few new movies. I watched uh, Tombstone for the first time. Ooh. Yeah, I remember you were telling me this. Yeah, I was told. I was telling you this in the last time we recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep up the illusion. I was going to be down on myself the whole, at least the opening song. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is the last time I'll mention that that I that I screwed up. So I I I'm just letting it be known I messed up. It's on me. <laughs> but I watched Tombstone, and most of it was obviously because we. Um, just watched Batman Forever for our last episode, and so I was curious to see more Val Kilmer. And he's he's so good in that. Oh my god, he's so he's, good in that movie. He's great. I don't know if I've seen another performance where someone as as like charming and has enough as much swagger while also slowly dying the way Val Kilmer does. Like Val Kilmer like mastered that, I think. And my favorite part in the whole movie is when uh Billy Bob Thornton, who I didn't know it was Billy Bob Thornton, admittedly, comes out and he's in this like kind of like pudgy guy suit where he's gonna like uh, shoot uh, Wyatt Earp, Kurt Russell's character, and he's interrupted by Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer, and like Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell are having a conversation, you know, catching up because they're old friends. And then you just see Billy Bob Thornton in the background, just like dumbfounded, like what is happening? Still with the shotgun in his hand, <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then Val Kilmer turns and looks at him, and goes, "Oh, Johnny, I apologize. I forgot you were there. You may go now." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So it's so good. We might, we might do it. We might even do an episode on it later, honestly, because I think that would be really cool. It's definitely one of those I think that deserves attention, but also worthy of note too is that it does have like an extended cut, which I didn't know. Yeah, but it's only available on DVD, and I know how you feel about buying D- regular DVDs. I am not a fan. <laughs> I I'm definitely I'm definitely not a fan. <laughs> I was get, my my knee jerk instinct was to say I'm not a fan like how when people don't plug in their microphones when they're recording podcasts, but I didn't want to say that even though I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm done. I promise. Like, listen, guaranteed now, at this point, I am done. I promise. We can move on to the movies now. All right. Well, uh, on that note, I, I don't think of a better time to transition <laughs> from from, uh, from uh, Doc Holiday to uh, flying dragons that look like dogs. I think that's a. I I, th- I think you know that's a pretty good transition. You know. Just, just saying, do it, Joey. It's just so seamless. Oh man, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a hoot to re-listen to all this, man. So this is our 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 first title of the day is the 2016 film Peach Dragon, which is of course a remake of the 1977 film of the same name. And that film is actually based on an unpublished short story of a. Um, I, I, I want to remember the name off the top of my head. Is it not called Pete's Dragon? It's called... I think it's called Pete's Dragon something. Pete's Dragon and the USA Forever After. At least according to huh. what I'm reading. Yeah, it's 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 neat, honestly. But, so, I'm going to try to get this out of the way. So, the original Pete's Dragon... Um, I have a lot of nostalgia for specifically Elliot the Dragon. 
And same, uh, same. Because like again, I've been going to Disney parks my whole life, and one of the famous things is the Main Street Electrical Parade. And what's the most famous float in the Main Street Electrical Parade? It's Elliot with all the, the green and purple lights, and he mm-hmm. and you see and you see Pete's dragging himself. Pete's dragging himself, and you see Pete on top of him, and he blows out smoke, and it's so so cool. I remember I was at Disneyland with my girlfriend. Uh, now it's gonna be four years ago. Holy cow! But like four years ago, we were pretty close. We were in re- really good position in the parade route, and we got to see that guy pretty up close, and it was really really awesome. I have a statue of Elliot in my bedroom. Shout out to uh, Allison's mom, Diane, uh, you know, for that. And I even named my banshee that I got from Pandora after Elliot. Because uh, it's like a green and uh, green and purple banshee. I remember that, yeah. I have a lot of nostalgia for that character. The movie is basically Diet Mary Poppins. It's not very good. I don't think it's anybody's favorite. I would say that Bedknobs and Broomsticks is more kind of a Diet Mary Poppins. And then Pete's Dragon's more like Coke, more like, like Zero Sugar Mary Poppins. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I would say that. I would say that. But I like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, admittedly. But I would still say that. But also, um, was it uh, rest, rest in peace in um, uh, what, what, Helen uh, Helen Red, uh, Reddy? Because yes, yeah, because she, yeah, I just yes. That was one thing I'm glad we got to re-record this because um, you know she had passed away and she sings probably one of my favorite Disney songs, "Candle on the Water." It's a beautiful song. Go check it out. They had, there's actually a, a, a good song. there's actually a cover of it on the the new version. You know the new Peach Dragon soundtrack that's really good, but. Peach Dragon, like this remake, like I people always talk about how oh they should stop remaking good movies and start remaking bad movies, and this is I think one of the closest things that they've ever come to doing something like that, where they remake something that isn't great, admittedly, and then they make it completely different. They have like the same basic comic, con- you know, concept of of a boy and his dragon, but they go in a completely different tone and direction with it. It's it really it's so so different. I mean, it's not a musical. It's not uh like kind of peppy sort of like corny. It's not pandering to kids or anything. Like it's genuinely a totally different experience. And yeah, like you were saying so many people say why do they keep remaking good movies when, you know, they should just start remaking bad movies? And it's so weird, too, like, just in this whole remake landscape that we're in. It's so weird to think that movies that you and I grew up with as kids, like Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and and, uh, Cinderella, all these movies are getting these live-action treats. Like, it's the weirdest thing to think that um, I got an Aladdin movie, (laughs) Like, like, in my late 20s. (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's so weird to think that that like i don't know it's just the weirdest thing but with pete's dragon it's it's a totally different experience because it's a totally different movie it has like you were saying yeah it has like kind of the same you know some of the same aspects of the original but ultimately it feels like a totally different thing you know for one it's not set in like a harbor town it's set in like a lumber town um it's a very dramatic movie. It's it's a very like somber movie, really. But it has it has like a tinge, like a tinge of hope in there. So, you know, you're not entirely like 
bummed out the whole time you're watching it. In fact, you have a lot of fun watching it sometimes. Especially anytime our good friend, by far the most lovable dragon in the world, uh, Elliot, is on screen. Yeah, Elliot's definitely a big key to the film's uh, success. I mean, obviously, when you have a film titled Peach Dragon, you expect the dragon to play a big part, you know? But really, Mm -hmm. really, you gotta believe in the friendship that the boy Pete has with his with his dragon you know and that that starts a, a lot of that like we'll get to the performances in a second but the visual effects components are very impressive with elliot how well realized of a character he is the textures on that character like i just love the, the look, hair the fuzz the, the ears i even kept like the like the cow ears that um that the original elliot sort of has and i also love like his tooth you can kind of see like it's part of it part of his lopped off like yeah like one of his fangs is off and the way he flies is so awkward it, or at least it appears that way like he's just like <laughs> like he's just trying to like it's like on one hand he's trying to fly steadily but he's also trying to carry himself he's like oh god oh god oh god i got this but it, okay here we go <laughs> but it's so beautiful like there's so many like shots like one of my favorites like towards the end of the movie where like they fly above the clouds and you see like that sun and you got like the oh, nice oranges and blues. It's so like serene. Yeah, it, it that's that's it's so serene. It's so like it's it's like when we were talking about um, with How to Train Your Dragon when we were watching those movies. How like you know when you do flying scenes right, you get this sense of like s- serenity and this sense of freedom, and they do that so well in this as well. All the flying scenes, really, even just the first time Elliot and Pete are flying together through like the chasms of the forest through the trees above the trees um or even that bit where it's like that cliched moment in any movie with flying where like a character jumps off a cliff and then you know they kind of like push the camera forward and then out of nowhere they just swoop right back up and then you're just in the sky with them mm. even then like you're still you're still on board no you know it's it's genuinely beautiful going going off off of that like one of the big things with with this movie is like you know, coping, coping with trauma or, you know, just like loneliness and th- and things of that nature. Like in the beginning of the movie, Pete loses his parents to a horrific accident. The one thing that's there to comfort him is Elliot, this giant dragon. It, it, it He's in the woods for a very long time. This isn't like, this isn't like the, the original where he's, you know, he, he's much more well-adjusted you know, obviously people look at him differently, maybe, but he, you know, he could probably function somewhat in society. In the first one, it's more, isn't it more like he's running away from, like, awful guardians? Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I think in, in that regard, too, like, with this newer one, they use, like you were saying, Elliot better, like, just thematically. And mm-hmm. and that it's not necessarily Pete... Is like running away, and then Elliot's just like a guardian angel. It's more like um, Elliot, like he's still somewhat, somewhat of that guardian angel, but like Elliot's also like his best friend, and like his, like in a way, he's like kind of his caretaker as well. Like they're there for each other. Like it's a genuine relationship that you hundred percent believe, and it's not like just another cartoonish character that you know is is fun, but at the same time, you know, doesn't really serve much of a purpose outside of like just wacky cartoonish antics 
Whereas in this, he fe- he feels more genuine. Yeah, yeah. And there are like cartoon cartoonish or like goofy things that happen. Like when when uh, Pete is running around the town trying to figure out what's going on and stuff, or like when he's trying to figure out how, what what a toothbrush is, ba- basically, and he puts the shaving cream on there. Like it's funny. But it just it goes to show you how <laughs> how long he's been in the woods for one, and how just like unfamiliar he is with you know like with society and just you know other humans. He he he's a he's a one of those like you hear those like cliched raised by a wolf type kids. Uh, like I love I love that scene too because like I love when he's just running into the town and he's. He sees a, you know, a dog starts barking at him, and like everyone else would just be like, "Oh!" But he's just like, ruff, ruff. And, the, and the mom's just like, "Don't bark at my dog, <laughs> you boy! What are you doing?" <laughs> and then um, he jumps on the back of that bus, like to escape the police officer, and uh, like all the kids on the school bus are like, "This is the coolest freaking kid ever! Oh my yeah. god, yeah. he's running on top of the bus! What's going on?" <laughs> Uh, he like leaps onto another truck like what yeah it it also like too like it, it's not just that like like pete is going through like like some of this trauma it's like elliot has his own his own set of stuff like obviously like later on in the at the end of the movie we see that there's other dragons out there and that leads me to think like maybe he got like separated from all those other dragons and like pete was his only pete was his only buddy that he had you know, and it's not, it, it makes it so that it's not just, yeah. it's not just like Pete's, you know, isolation. You also have a, dra- a dragon that probably, you know, I- is really comfortable with. They need each other. They need each other. Yes, thank you. They need each other. Um, they yes. They need each other so much. Um, uh, I, I really want to get into the performances in this movie because there, there's a, there's a lot of great ones and there's one we, we really need to talk about. <laughs> you know what? Should we, do we want us? Do want to save him for last? What do you, What do you want to put him? But let's put it's up to you. Let, let's put him last. I mean, let's let's like. I, I want to start off positive. Like the the kids in this movie, uh, Oaks Oaks Fagley and uh, Una Lawrence are the are their two uh, two child leads. Oaks and Una are great names. I just want to say that right off the top. Yes. Um. Um. Oaks Oaks plays um plays Pete. And uh, Una plays Natalie, and I I think like people always notoriously talk about like the most like unpredictable things in a movie could be like nature, animals, kids are another one, you know, because sometimes you have great child performances, and again, you're asking a kid to do a lot, you know, it's 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 tough to be on like on a set for a long time, even with like the laws, the way the laws are, and all that stuff, it's 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 a challenge. But they really, like, David Lowry was very good at directing these kids, and I imagine that's probably why he got the Peter Pan gig, was because of because of that. And also, this movie, you know, was good. And I, you know what? On top of that, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for The Green Knight, which is a David Lowry movie he's doing for A24. And I still got to watch A Ghost Story, and I got to finish Old Man with a Gun with Robert Redford, because I love this movie, so I definitely want to check out the rest of David Lowry's movies. It's, I will say from what I've seen with old, for, from Old Man with a Gun, I, I definitely enjoy that. So, who else we got? We got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is in this movie who plays Grace. Oh, Bryce Dallas Howard. I was just gonna say, I definitely think that you and I could say we're fans of Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes, but I will say at the same time, she does play a lot of those kind of like same characters 
where she is kind of like I get you like 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 you were saying like she is kind of a buzzkill a little bit. Yeah, cuz in Jur- in Jurassic World she she's all about like the numbers and like how much money they can in the first one at least how much, you know, they can make off of this sponsorship and you know let just letting the kids do whatever without spending quality time with them. In this one and and also just not appreciating the majesty of the dinosaurs and just seeing them as products. Where in this one, she has a lot more warmth warmth to her. I would say she's more just just skeptical, and it's just like because a dragon just sounds so ridiculous, so like so far fetched. Yeah, it's but it de- it definitely has like a, a slightly similar like like almost Claire like slightly. But she's got she's got a warmth to her where she makes you know she's a good presence you know for the movie. She she's I actually really like her in this, and she she brings a lot of great emotion to the movie and i think she has really good chemistry with the kids ultimately yes which is i think is the big the big thing for her character um and even uh, i like her chemistry with robert redford who robert redford is just a treasure in general like no wonder they made him president in 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 the Watchmen show on hbo he's <laughs> <laughs> like what a what a treasure that man is what i like about robert redford i didn't even get to mention this in the last one but he he's not in paycheck mode in this. It would be so easy for him to No, do, he's not. It would be so easy for him to just be like, "Okay, this is just another paycheck in my later in life I'm going to save this for for the grandkids or whatever." No, he's he actually gives a really good performance in this. He actually cares about what he's doing. Yeah. And this is also like what is it, the second to last movie or like like the technically the third to last movie he did before he retired? Yeah. It was like this Old Man with a Gun, and then his bit part in Endgame. Yes. And then he was done officially. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like anybody else in his anybody else in his position would have just said, "Nah, I'm good." But no, he 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 still went for it. He's great. And I think that also shows, like, a he's a a professional, but also b I think I think I like to think he has like huge respect for David Lowry as a filmmaker, as well as like the people around him in in like the cast and crew. I mean, he worked with them twice. Yeah. So I mean, there you go. There you have it. It's like same with the Russo brothers. He was in Winter Soldier, and then, you know, if it was anyone else that was like, "Hey, you want to be in this?" He probably would have been like, "I'm retired, but I appreciate it." But he was like, "You know what? Yeah, I liked you guys when we worked on that Winter Soldier movie, so I'll, I'll show up in Endgame. Why not?" Yeah, no. Uh, shout out to Robert Redford. Um, to- totally, really great in in a lot of you things. treasure like treasure. I mean, Carl. Let's also Carl Urban is also in this movie. Another treasure. Another treasure. Another treasure. He, like, I, I, you said this in our last recording. I know I keep bringing it up, but, like, in our last recording, you were kind of saying he is, like... <laughs> I stopped breaking it I up! Know, but there, there, <laughs> you had some great insights in the last one, and I want to give you credit for them. You you were talking about how, like, he's not necessarily... He's not really the antagonist of the movie. He's more, like, the antagonist of the moment. He's presented, given the circumstances, as the more antagonistic character because, like... Most everybody else, when they see Elliot for the first time, they they think, like, they're scared, but then ultimately they're kind of, like, warming up to him more. Because the thing is, especially when you really look at Elliot, he's not threatening looking. I think that was kind of, like, part of, you know, the great, uh, you know, the greatness of the design of the character is that, yeah, it's a big dragon, but he kind of emulates a dog a little bit. Like, he's a little puppy. Like, even, like, the way he moves and, like, when he stretches and everything, which, again, a puppy, like I said the last time, uh, is uh, is a great description because, you know, Elliot has, or no, Pete, oh, I did it again, Pete <laughs> has the book where it's, like, called, like, Elliot Gets Lost or something, and Elliot 
in reference to the book is a dog so i think it makes sense like thematically in comparison to like have elliot the dragon be kind of uh canine like and, and but when carl urban yeah oh no, i just want to side note and it makes sense why when they say oh elliot is a dragon and he's like a dragon because he probably just thinks of him as a giant dog yeah <laughs> like like, 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 Pete, like, Pete's just like, what's a dragon? <laughs> he was probably so confused when he saw the little yapping thing. Just like, what the hell is that? Is that a rat? <laughs> what is that thing? <laughs> You're saying Carl Urban's character of Gavin. Gavin, Carl Urban's character, um, doesn't see, like, Dr- Elliot as anything but menacing and a threat. So his first instinct is to hunt him down. Like, like, you know, like you were saying in our previous recording, uh, like in those like monster hunting shows, like, like finding Bigfoot or, monster uh, Quest. It, is it just called monster hunt monster quest? So like, he definitely seems like one of those guys, but you know that he's like, his intentions are not in any way malicious. Like everything he he's doing, he's doing because he loves his family and he loves his friends and everyone in the community. And so his initial instinct is because this, like, the dragon's a menace, so we gotta, like, take it down or take it, like, capture it. He doesn't try to kill it by any means. He tries to, like, tranquilize it a bunch of times. But, uh, you, and it, and it's really emphasized at the end of the movie when, uh, you know, disaster strikes and this bridge is collapsing because Elliot got mad at Carl Urban and, and decided to fight back. But, of course, uh, he, he breathed fire. It was a very epic scene. Bridge starts collapsing, and Carl Urban's first instinct isn't to, like, you know, fight the dragon like he's freaking Captain Ahab or something, fighting the white whale. No, it's to save his his friends and family who are in the truck before they fall off the, the cliff. Elliot also does the same thing. And so it's it's nice, it's nice like you were saying, because, like, a lot of Disney villains are either, like, just super evil, they'll either, like, fall off a cliff, or they'll be captured, or something will happen to them. But it's super good. It's super cool um, the way they portray Carl Urban's character because, yeah, he's not the villain of the movie, just of the moment in question in which all these characters are interacting for the first time and seeing a dragon for the first time. And it, it's nice that the movie actually shows him as a good person, even if his actions aren't entirely the right move. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like 100, 110%. Which now leads me to the last piece in all of this. The final piece in this puzzle. We don't have to if you don't want. Listen, we can skip him. If listen, you want. there's too much. Like, listen, as much as I would love to have like a less than thirty minute, like half of an episode. Now we got to talk about West Bentley. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> listen, listen. You no, know what? I'm gonna say this right at the top of this of this part. I'm sure West Bentley is a really nice guy. He's probably like. You know, good in his community. He's probably loving to his family. He probably donates money and clothes and whatnot to different charities and organizations. He's probably like, like he's probably got a heart of gold. But he stinks at his job. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ooh, that was rough. That was rougher than the last one. I was not <laughs> expecting it to be that harsh. Oh my gosh! Wow. But I'm so sorry. <laughs> Listen, okay. I'll just say, I'll just say, he's been in movies I like. I like Interstellar. I like Pete's Dragon. But I just have never seen a performance from him 
that I've been like, oh my god, Wes Bentley's fantastic. He's kind of just there. He doesn't really add anything emotionally to the movie for me. It's it's really unfortunate because I really I you know what I really want him to blow me away in a movie. I genuinely do. He just hasn't done it yet but mm-hmm. he's been in stuff that's blown me away just not him folks if you've seen anything uh that has knocked your socks off where Wes bentley has given a performance that's been really good please let us know because we do want to we want to watch that we want to watch that and we'll we'll talk about it and be like listen this was fantastic you know what i changed my mind about i want to i want to change my mind about Wes bentley i really do yeah i mean it, it, it's it's um yeah definitely definitely uh let us let us know on that folks um so just just pete's dragon in, in in general i think as a whole even by disney remake standards which are pretty they're, they're low standards because you're just like okay we just don't want this to be a total embarrassment but this is a good movie yeah like, even even without that like that sort of baggage it is a really really good um really good movie it's no it's so good like just the way that david lowry approached the material and again the honesty too like like it feels like some of those like kids movies that like it was funny when we were watching it i thought a lot of as well uh where the wild things are spike jones yeah yeah uh adaptation and, and where like like that movie you know pete's dragon just it's not pandering like I was saying. It's not like like trying to, it's not trying to talk at children or talk at anyone that has gone through what these characters go through. It talks to them more, and and it's it does it so well in the way that it plays everything out. And it's funny because like watching it, it doesn't feel like a Disney movie in a lot of ways. And even just the fact that the movie's set in the '80s and it doesn't beat you over the head with it by like having like outlandish colors and playing Blue Monday excessively, it's just <laughs> set in the '80s because it fits better in the story. And the message of the movie and everything that it's trying to convey isn't you know shoved into your face. It's 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 organically flows throughout the film, and it it, it it's all like for for a movie that's a remake of a 70s musical with a cartoon dragon like it it's it's kind of crazy how good this movie is in a lot of ways like it's one of those cases where this movie has no right being this good it's like that that cliche it really doesn't like (laughs) like you think about all the things that are stacked against it and it still manages to like succeed and again i also just want to bring this up too i'm very excited to see other David Lowry movies, um, specifically as far as the Disney same, remake cycle, absolutely same. I'm, I'm very excited about Peter Pan and Wendy because I'm like, if he can direct child actors very well, and Peach Dragon was a really good movie, I'd like to see him direct a more mainstream Disney property, especially something like Peter Pan, where you know it could be tricky trying to remake that. Is all I'm going to say. And there's been so many adaptations of Peter Pan too that it's just like it's. If he can if he can bring something different but also something like magical to the table, I'm totally down for it. And given his track record so far, I think he can do that tenfold. Absolutely, 110, 110%. Um anyhow, we're going to hop on our dragons and fly off and uh when we come back, we're going to talk about a another movie dealing with a boy and his uh giant monster pal thing or whatever. Stay tuned. Thank you.
back! Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In the last segment, we talked about Pete's Dragon, that incredible remake from David Lowry. Now, we are moving on, of course, to another uh, monster movie where a young boy is going through some uh, really tragic stuff. The J.A. Bayona 2016 film, A Monster Calls. Man... This one hit hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, I mean, I did, up front, I tried to be like, listen, this movie's, this movie might wreck you. <laughs> yeah, I was not, I was not expecting, I was expecting like some tears, you know, but like, especially like that, that really just was like, oh my God. Like, between that, like, I watched that, and then right after I watched the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer, and I was on a roller coaster of emotions <laughs> for that for that period, man. That was wild. You were just oh in my just God. A, a constant state of emotions, whether it was being super, like, sad because of this movie, or just incredibly thrilled for seeing that trailer, which uh, we actually watched it again before we decided to record this next part. Yes, yes. Yes, we did. Um, so, do you want to start on a monster calls? Because this, I think this was definitely your your. Sure, pick. I think that's I think that's fine. Um, monster calls, by the way. <laughs> no, so this was like when we were thinking about all these ever all these other types of double features. I think we just kind of randomly stumbled on this one. This wasn't one of the ones we were like, oh my god. I think because we both really love Pete's Dragon, and I know you hadn't seen. Monster Calls, but I I definitely wanted to show you another Jay Bayona movie that had nothing to do with Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> so just like listen, experience Jay Bayona in, in in his prime, which you kind of have because he directed the first two episodes of Penny Dreadful, which is a show we love. So you so you've had some of of that you know greatness that he's put out there, uh, sans Trevorrow. But this one I think is is like the best movie he's ever made first and foremost and it's basically okay so we have connor uh, in this film not this this is this is the pete of this movie but he's he's this whole whole other different character and he's going through something really traumatic uh basically uh his mom is really sick and she's only getting sicker and he's especially for being a 13-year-old boy, he's feeling all these different emotions and everything's more confusing now than it's ever been. Like, you know, he he's confused why his actions... Like, he he's a very angry kid, too. So he's really confused why some of the things he does in the movie like don't garner punishment or why he's not, you know, getting in trouble for some of these things. And, you know, why... You know, he can't, like, they, they, they can't just make his mom well again. So he's just really going through some stuff. But, uh, lo and behold, uh, in a kind of similar fashion to It's a Wonderful Life, which I, I'm not as familiar with as, as most are, but it definitely has that sort of vibe. Uh, one night, Connor gets a visit from, not Groot, but Groot-esque monster, uh, voiced by Liam Neeson, and he basically, he's like, Connor O'Malley, I'm here to tell you three stories. And these three stories 
are going to be a nightmare for people like you. If you don't let my daughter go now, I will look for you. I will. F oh, wait, that's a different movie. I'm so sorry. My bad. <laughs> See, I was envisioning that, that Liam Neeson was going, no, credits will do fine. <laughs> Or uh, with Liam Neeson, I like to think of uh, his bit role in Ted 2, where he's like, I need you to tell me, are these tricks exclusively for children? <laughs> so if I buy these now, <laughs> there will be no problem. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And then he, <laughs> like, he buys the tricks and he gets arrested. <laughs> like, that's just hysterical. Like, like bow down, like hats off to Seth MacFarlane for that joke that was really funny but no yeah Liam Neeson can we just talk about Liam Neeson for a second because he's fantastic he's great he is great he's so good in the movie <laughs> <laughs> is that all <laughs> no I mean I, I think it's it's very important to have um, a great voice for the character of the monster but also to have like the design of the monster as it is like it's such a well realized character like i was saying for elliot in peach dragon you have to get that element right you have to get the fantasy element right um because if you don't it just kind of falls apart it just kind of falls apart so it, it was a very strong element and like it's just such a great presence um on screen you know and definitely good chemistry with um with the boy like you're saying like with the design too like the way like i will i will also say like you know the first thing you think of admittedly is groot with uh with the monster because he's a he's a giant like living tree so you can't really you can't not think of it and he's got a deep voice just the difference being that he speaks in articulated sentences whereas groot only says one thing or at least the word groot or, or to say, or to quote Rocket, his vocabulistics ain't so good. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, I do like that. I don't know if this was like a conscious, a, a conscious choice uh, on Jay Bayona's part, but I do like that it's not entirely Groot esque. Like it does feel like its own thing. What I like about it, well, it also makes me think of Treebeard from Lord of the Rings, like the Ents. Yeah. Like it's not just like a talking tree. It feels like almost like a like a forest spirit that has been there for thousands of thousands of years and is older than than anybody that can remember it. You know. I also love anytime like he gets he like gets like infused with rage. Like there's like almost like fire beneath the branches and his eyes glow up. Like it's intense at times. But it, other than that, like the the design of the character is really cool and the way Liam Neeson performs uh you know the vocal performance it all matches really well and like you were saying uh you need to get that right and you need to get the chemistry with the boy right and i think they do that a hundred percent this this is a story you know as we said cope you know coping with a, a specific trauma or fear or you know something that he is afraid of um that connor is afraid of and you know i was i was just kind of thinking about it too like I talked to you about this with horror movies and like part of the thing is like real life will always be, will always be scary. And you always says like, say like, well, horror has to always contend with stuff like that. Like, you know, I E like post nine 11 movies had to ramp up stuff. I imagine post COVID-19 movies are going to really have to ramp stuff up because stuff's, you know, 
For sure. But, like, with this movie, like, you have these stories of, like, monsters and witches and people getting poisoned and dying for... And there are characters who die for no reason, but in real life, that type of thing is much scarier. Like, you, you, and you, like one of the shots when you see... I think they're changing, like, they're, tr- they're trying to do something for Felicity Jones' character, and you get to see what this, the, I think is cancer or whatever, what this has done to her body, you know, mm-hmm. and just, like, he catches, like, a brief glimpse of that, you know, and just everything else, like, in the movie, or, you know, thinking about, I was, the, I was really af- more afraid of, like, what Sigourney Weaver's reaction would be to the boy, like, destroying all of this stuff out of his ra- rage and frustration and, like, trying to cope with what's going on. Yeah, just the way that, like, yeah, the way the story is, like, juxtapose what's actually happening and, like, everything just works so well together. And also, on that note, too, I think that's something that Jay Bayona's really good at is, like, emphasizing, he can, like, he can do stuff like, say, the latter half of jurassic world fallen kingdom where it feels like a like almost a classic style haunted house movie or something like the orphanage which feels like that or even um uh penny dreadful the episodes of penny dreadful he did which are very much in that kind of gothic horror ballpark but i think he also does like realistic real life horror really well and another example of that is like when he did the impossible which is literally about you know the aftermath of a tsunami and, and the genuine fear, like seeing like Tom Holland, who was like a, a little little boy at the time when he did that movie, uh, trying to find Ewan McGregor and, uh, you know, Naomi Watts and just like, like even just like going so far as to, you know, talk about like the filth of the water because, you know, of like all the stuff that happened, like whether it's like blood, like just anything. Oh my God. You know, I think Jay Bayona really does a great job of capturing the 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 essence of the horrors of stuff that actually happens in people's lives and with this movie it's very much that because that's that's a tough thing especially when you're a 13 year old boy to comprehend when you lose someone like that and you know when you have these feelings of you know wanting it to be over um, but also not wanting to lose this parent that you love so much and no, and wondering if, if you're a bad person for feeling this way. And that's something even now when you're an adult, like, you know, you just can't comprehend, you know, it's, it's such, it's like, it's such a hard thing for everyone. You can, and they even show that in the movie too, like just seeing Sigourney Weaver, like, uh, like clearly she's struggling like clearly because like you know she's losing her daughter but she also has to like try to make sure that the kid isn't going to go off the rails because he's clearly just been so mad the entire time and just seeing just seeing that and when it all goes oh my god when it gets to that moment at the end of the movie when they like finally like embrace each other before you know that the final moments of his mom's life it's it's genuinely emotional like the whole the whole like last 20 minutes of this movie like we're both in tears yeah oh yeah (laughs) i i I do i do apologize for that (laughs) it's (laughs) it is a very intense movie yeah it it, the intense intense is is the word for it but i also like to just like you know it's it's a good like it's it's also deals with things that are just hard for kids to understand sometimes too in general Mm -hmm. 
like we were mentioning, but like things like, for example, like when we do with stories, we're so used to like good versus evil type of stories or characters where, you know, one character is clearly good or one's clearly, but you know, the monster kind of points out like, you know, sometimes, sometimes things that appear evil are actually, are, are actually right. And some things that actually, that are good aren't necessarily like, you know, hundred percent sweethearts, you know, like, uh, I think about the story with the apothecary and how that character had a, maybe a harsh way of dealing with things, but ultimately they were right, you know, and it makes me think of Sigourney Weaver's character where she's a very, she's a very strict character, you know, she's, she's very, very serious, um, in her dealings with the boy, but she has to be, she has mm -hmm. like, you know, and what she ultimately doing, what she's ultimately doing is the right thing. And a lot of that, a lot of that too, is because, you know, not only is this kid losing the most important person in his life, but also the other, the only other person he has is someone that is so distant, you know, you know, he has like, he, like his father, like obviously left the family and moved to America to like start his own family. And so it's like Sigourney Weaver obviously notices that this kid that obviously they might not see eye to eye on, on a lot of things, but she sees that this kid is clearly struggling and he's because he has no one else to really like either, you know, be there for him or slap him into reality, you know, not, not literally mind you, but just to be like, you know, we need, I need to make sure that he's, that he stays strong, that he can be strong. Right. And mm -hmm. so like big ups to Sigourney Weaver in this movie, just in general, like this is like, she's, she's definitely like one of the best performers even to this day and it's it, like we, i was kind of joking earlier about doing like a a double feature where it's like let's just do a double feature where sigourney weaver just shows up at the end of the movie for like just some reason because it's sigourney weaver so it's like we'll do paul and a cabin in the woods like yeah okay but <laughs> <laughs> but she's so good in this movie and you feel you feel her pain you feel the pain of you feel everyone's pain in this movie really even if it's and and how everybody deals with it like sigourney weaver you know being there for her daughter while also being there for her grandson uh toby kevill's character the father um like being distant but also trying like trying to be there for connor even if he knows he hasn't really built up a strong enough relationship with his kid to really like to really do that but um, just being there for him in some capacity. And of course, you know, just his mom, like, just saying, like, you know, just just be here, you know, and know that, you know, I love you. Um, God damn. Like, I just talk, just thinking about it. Like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, it, it, get, it gets you a little bit. You're fine. There was, there was something I, I, I did want to mention Um mentioned with this oh well they talk about king kong obviously they they watch king kong at one point in the movie which is a big bonus for you big bonus connor connor asks uh why did why did they have, why did they have to kill king kong why do you have to die and she's like oh they, they fear you know, they fear what they don't understand and for me when i looked at it i think it's it, it plays more into like the role of a monster in a movie and usually mm. what happens to the monster they die at the end of the movie. This is very true in a lot of old movies, okay? When you watch anything, like, especially when you watch gangster movies, too, like James Cagney, like, his character would get killed, or Edward G. Robinson would get killed, because the things that they did, they, they you know, 
they had to they had to go um and that i think that kind of like correlates to to the themes of the movie where and like both like the fairy like one of the fairy tales but also the um uh connor's mom played by felicity jones where you have to go at some point no matter no matter what you do you know and even if it even if it's too if it seems too soon or if if it's just not fair that's life 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 can be a cheat sometimes and I think that's something these days, you know, going back to like, you know, I hate mentioning the pandemic, but I think it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, everybody I feel like has been thinking about a little bit more lately. Uh, maybe not so much now, but definitely when this whole thing was kicking off, like just how fragile we are and, and just how, you know, I, especially like for me personally, like, you know, just turning 30 this year, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. Well, turning 30 last year how it it's both that kind of clashing moment at least for me where it's on one hand i'm like okay i'm turning 30 now and it's just i'm i'm at that point in my life where i am significantly older while at the same time i keep thinking about a lot of like mortality stuff which you know it's definitely not a a, a great mixture of things to to be thinking about but it really it really it really like puts that into perspective that yeah one day Every single one of us will will be over. Like, well, it'll be the end. Like, and yeah, it's it's incredibly tragic. You know, especially if it's something like you were you were taken out of this world, taken out of life, or you you were or life was slowly taken away from you, or something happens. But ultimately, you know, it's something that everybody has to deal with, and so it's just a matter of dealing with it in your own way whether it's someone you know is dying or you yourself is dying and it's there's no right or wrong answer for it for how to how to cope with it or how to deal with it it's just you know the best thing to do is is just to stay together and i think that's that's really how this movie uh talks about that it's just you know connor again not really knowing what to do like anytime he does something bad like he he trashes his his grandmother's living room in a, in a fit of rage or uh the bully that's in the movie like tells him that he's invisible and then he starts pounding on his head saying that he's not invisible and in any other instance he would have been like grounded or reprimanded or had to do something or he would have been expelled from school but neither of those things happen because these people, the principal and the grandmother, know that a lot of that emotion comes from sadness and confusion. I think that does relate a lot to the current climate of things and that we don't, like, even now, like, we don't really know how best to, like, approach a lot of this stuff because it's just certain things that are just so conflicting and so it's... Like most movies we've been watching on the show, there is some relation to current times, admittedly. But it's also a very universal message. I was I was definitely very glad to, glad to see this one. Um, speaking as somebody who has lost a parent, mm-hmm. not in like a very slow manner, like what happened with Connor, but it's still you know still a young age and still very still very traumatic, and I still deal with that to this day. You know, and definitely like the idea of like monsters helping you cope cope with these things is definitely something I really related to because again, King Kong was a movie I watched. Um, I watched early on. Um, in that time post my dad's death and that has definitely been like a coping device or watching giant just monster movies in general 
and again this this idea and also kind of relates to pan's labyrinth because i kind of see this as sort of like americanized yeah labyrinth but i mean that in the best possible way is that this idea that like sometimes like these the monsters the monsters in our fairy tales and stuff aren't as scary as real life and they can help us digest or deal with things that are going on in our lives in a way that kind of softens the blow or helps us come to come to terms with it it also makes me think of like life of pi a little bit i don't know if you've ever seen life of pi i have not yeah, a lot of it, like, you know, obviously there's, like, all the animals and this fantastic story, but a big part of it, without getting into too much of it, is coping with reality, you know, and what would you rather experience? Would you rather have this, have this thing with, like, the colorful animals or have what, what kind of happens, you know? Uh, I definitely recommend checking that one out. There are some things with, like, the religious stuff that I don't 100% agree with, but I, I think there's some ideas at play there. Plus, it's one of the most visually impressive movies that I've ever seen. That's the one with the, the guy that's, like, in the boat with the tiger, right? Yes. I've, I remember seeing, like, posters and trailers for it and stuff, and it seemed interesting. I do admittedly think part of it was just, like, my only movie that I've ever seen Ang Lee make was, uh, was, was Hulk. So it just was just like, and again, one, one unfortunate, you know, movie doesn't entirely explain a director's career. So like, for example, with Jay Bayona, while Fallen Kingdom might not be like one of the best movies ever made, I still think he does a good job with that one. And I don't think that movie is a defining moment for for his career as a director. I will say, like at some point, I do probably need to watch Life of Pi in that regard. Yeah, watch watch, uh, watch uh, Crouching Tiger, man. But you were you were mentioning Guillermo del Toro uh, with Pan's Labyrinth a little bit, and I, I honestly like I also think of his work a lot too when it comes to this kind of topic of monsters being coping mechanisms for real life and how a lot of ways monsters can be like guardians or monsters can be some sort of metaphorical representation of something like, like we were t- we talked about shape of water in an ep- in one of our episodes and how uh, the river God character, the, 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 the amphibian man is kind of a representation of, of unique love and, and, you know, the way he, the way that character kind of represents uh, the themes of that story with, with this one, you know this like this this almost grandfather tree character voiced by Liam Neeson being being the sort of guardian angel for Connor you know is a real like I said is and and having all these experiences in life like he probably like that tree monster probably knows more about life than most people just because he's been on earth for so long but he kind of works as like a great character as like a like a almost like a fatherly figure like his grandmother to help him get through a lot of stuff he's going through and uh i think you were mentioning this uh in one of our other talks uh how he's kind of an extension of connor yeah because i think about the scene where where they like he's encouraging connor to destroy the building and it immediately after that we cut to him destroying like his grandma all that stuff in in the living room and then same thing uh, with with uh, later on in the movie when he confronts the bully, and you see him charging after the bully, and what's behind him charging with him in his mind the monster. Mm-hmm. It's just it's 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 the whole the, the the whole thing is just a great metaphor for like the themes of the movie, but also I kind of dig 
the the fact that the movie almost further uh paints th- that the movie that the creature because they kind of say that the creature at first might just be in the kid's imagination the way that it's portrayed but there's but they also say that maybe it's possible that the monster's real one of the th- one of those moments being when before she dies felicity jones's character uh, connor's mom looks over and sees the monster in the room and almost has this like you know like look of like oh hi you know, like, it's been a while kind of thing. Mm. And then, like, one of the cool things at the end, like, there's this, like, kind of epilogue scene at the end of the movie where Connor... is a very beautiful moment, too, where Connor uh, sees that his grandma was preparing this room so that, uh, with, like, you know, art and, 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 and pictures and posters from, like, Invisible Man or uh, King Kong... Um, that was his mom's stuff, but also like stuff that he can relate to now as well because they're so similar as they've portrayed in the movie. But then we see uh, his mom's old picture book and uh, he starts looking at her drawings. He's like beautiful watercolors, including a uh, watercolor she did of King Kong. Hi. hi. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, it is revealed that she had all these drawings in her picture book that looked a lot like uh, some of the characters from these stories that the tree monster was uh, telling to Connor. And then there's that last picture of her as a little girl possibly hanging out uh, with the monster. And so it's almost like maybe he was real, but they never really say yes or no, but it's clearly someone that his mother has had an experience with. But she has, but she did also say earlier in the film that it was a Yule tree. Isn't that what they call it? Yeah. Y- a yew tree, uh, something, something like that. A yule tree, something like that. Yew tree. Um, she does at one point say, you know, we can't chop that tree down because that tree is our friend. And I was also thinking too, because Liam Neeson obviously provides the voice of the monster, and we see pictures of Liam Neeson, and we see pictures of Liam Neeson. So I guess, imp- obviously, something like that. That was the grandfather at one point. Yeah, right. Like the grand, the grandfather that Connor probably never got to meet because i have to i have to imagine the monster or if we're not looking at this another way the monster was a coping mechanism for felicity jones character many years ago and it has that vo- it has that voice because that is the voice of her father ala connor's grandfather liam liam so and it and you know what i can't <laughs> liam I also kind of like how, and I mean, there's no way they really could have done it, but I feel like in some movies they would have just like had him become like they would have tried to like they would have like tried to explain it in a way where you know they show pictures of Liam Neeson and instead of just like letting it like be more ambiguous or letting us kind of figuring it out on our own that maybe it was also her grandfather in like this monster represent like this monster representing the grandfather in any other movie i feel like like at some point he would have just turned into liam neeson or something and would have just been like oh look it was the grandfather all along it's like no they don't do that and i'm kind of glad i'm kind of glad they don't yeah no it's it's definitely good but with both of these movies they really they definitely are are really well-crafted um well-crafted stories involving young boys and monsters Sort of using those monsters to, as we've said over and over and over again, deal with their own isolation, deal with trauma, deal with grief and pain, you know. And again, it's just like it's just like monster movies aren't just always just you know 
monsters punching things, even though I loved it when King Kong took his axe and was blocking Godzilla's atomic breath. That's a thing of beauty. That's a thing of beauty. <laughs> However, it's not always about the, the, the punching and the and the ripping off of jaws and things. Sometimes it's it's about the fact that these monsters can be a way, uh, a, a, an outlet for all of us. I agree with every word you just said. Great. Okay. So... <laughs> uh folks what are some of your favorite uh monster movies or maybe monster movies that are a bit more serious and deal with kind of the stuff that we're talking about or what more importantly what are your favorite west bentley movies where west bentley blew your socks off please let us know this is very 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 important we need to know that's the most important one i want to like him yes i want to like west bentley and if you find one We'll give you a shout out on the program. Oh, hell yeah, we will. Be like, this person right here found a great Wes Bentley movie, and they're great for finding it for me. Uh, anyway, folks, uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Next week will be our season three finale, even though seasons don't really matter so much. We call it our season three. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited, too, for next week. So uh, definitely, um, definitely come back for us uh, next time on Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Have a good night, everyone. Woo! Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong for such swell melodies, as they always do. Thank you guys so much. And next week is our big season three finale, episode number 30, in which we talk about a big monkey and a beautiful bride. Stay tuned.